0: fundamentalists welcome back to another episode of your favorite brown babes breaking down taboos and dissecting desi
1: culture across the diaspora i'm faiza And I'm Mehek, and today we are thrilled to have a femmentalist veteran with us, Saida Abbas, who previously joined us in season three to school us on racial and civic injustices. Uh, Today, though, Saida is joining us to speak on her infertility journey as the official voice and founder of Brown Girl Infertility on Instagram. And we are genuinely so honored that she's here sharing her story so intimately with us. So first, thank you, Saida. We're so happy to have you on. Um, can you reintroduce yourself
2: to our listeners? Sure. Hi to both of you ladies, and hi, everyone. Um, my name is Sayada Abbas, and I am so thrilled to be back on um, Mentalists, huge supporter and believer of this podcast. And I'm really, really grateful that you um, invited me back. Um, and just a little bit about. Uh, me, um, I am a South Asian woman. I'm a brown Muslim woman. I'm in my thirties. I live in New York City, and I am on my infertility journey. And I am the person behind Brown Girl Infertility.
1: Say that. Can you give us just a very high level of where you're at in your infertility journey, and um, what led you to? Taking something so sensitive, so personal, so intimate, um, onto such a larger platform, and the incredible response you've received to Brown Girl Infertility since you started.
2: Sure. Um, Just a a high level, big picture where my partner and I are on um, the journey is that we've completed two full cycles of IVF. stimulation and retrieval, Um, no transfer cycles yet. We're actually going on to our third IVF cycle soon. And a bit of background, um, if it may be helpful, Um, our journey started uh, 10 years ago when my partner was diagnosed with testicular cancer. Um, And, you know, he, because of that, he was rendered sterile and infertile and um, IVF, was the only way for us to have babies. And for a long time, we didn't embark on anything. We didn't really do any research, do anything. Um, and then when we were ready, we started. And so that's where we are, um, you know, kind of in the midst of, of everything right now. And you asked about what led me to starting um, the conversation and the page. Um, That for me was uh, a lot of things, a lot of reasons. Um, I think there were three main things. The first was a desire to document and share my story. And that was kind of like maybe an education piece, just with the hopes that someone might gain from it. Because I remember when I started um, infertility treatments, I felt very lost and I, you know, I had nobody to really talk to and I had no information other than like what my doctor was telling me. So I went on the internet and I saw a lot of like a lot of Facebook groups and support groups and um, I joined them. But I really, you know, one thing was really obvious to me that the conversation was dominated by white women and there was really a lack of of representation in the infertility dialogue um from women of color there just weren't and that's there's several reasons for that right there is women of color are definitely getting these treatments they are you know infertility doesn't discriminate but they just weren't sharing their stories and they were you know not on these pages and i really wish i had someone from my community or like an aunt or a cousin or a friend you know that Had talked to me about this before. And I was like, why is this the case? And then, you know, I thought about it some more. And obviously, we know that there's a large amount of stigma and shame around infertility. And we can get, you know, into that a little bit more later. But that's something that women of color feel. And I feel like our society, especially our culture, they see South Asians, really, that's very strong. And so I had a burning desire to break the silence, which was my reason number two. I really wanted to break the stigma and the silence because this is a very serious issue. And it's actually one in eight women are going through this, which is a lot of people. And so, you know, I was very upset by the fact that this topic is very much in the shadows for women that look like me and that are from my community. And I really wanted to change that. Um, and um that was, that was the biggest piece. And then I also wanted to diversify the infertility dialogue. So that's kind of the reasoning behind why I started the page.
1: Thank you. That's really helpful. Um, you've talked about this a lot on your Instagram, and you kind of mentioned it right now, that IVF was the only route for you guys. It was predetermined because of the cancer your husband had um, a decade ago, I guess, at this point. Um what were your concerns going into the process, both at the very beginning before you really kind of knew what you were getting into and then kind of as you moved through the first round, the first cycle? um what, how are you feeling? And did you feel, how did, I guess, how did you navigate through it, right? You said there were some of these groups that you were joining, but did you feel like there was enough support, enough resources out there for you, aside from just what your doctor was saying?
2: I did not feel like there were enough support and enough resources. Um, I mentioned earlier, I felt very lost. Um, and I mean, that was for many reasons, right? Um, for me and my partner, knowing what we knew, right? Knowing that IVF would be the only way for us to have kids, even knowing that, like, we just did not know enough, right? We had years and years to, like, do research or prep, but, like, it just felt so overwhelming and daunting, right? Even this is, I'm talking about, like, years ago. and like, you know, when we got married or, or whenever, even before that. I don't think people should wait to partner up to start this, um, start fertility preservation and preparation, Um, but yeah, I, I just, you know, before I, I, before we were married and after we just did not have the resources, the the know-how and that's, that, that's a huge problem. And so I felt there was a lot of limitations. Like we just did not have the education. The doctors are, are very focused and they're very busy. Right. And you can have the best doctor and you will get, a lot of information, but it will be thrown at you at a very fast pace. And, you know, we actually shopped around a little bit for fertility clinics and we spoke to different doctors. And after every single conversation, I just felt super overwhelmed and super just, you know, I kind of wanted to shut down because it's a lot of information and it's very, very serious information and it's very scary. So. I felt very overwhelmed, scared and concerned there was many concerns, right? Like you, you can't even you can't even begin to talk about the emotions that, you know, you kind of go through when you're experiencing infertility, but I think, you know, back to your question about resources and support, there just are not any. I think there's a serious issue um in our community and I think in our culture and society at large, where you um, just don't get the information that you need to prepare for your fertility, right? We prepare for school, we prepare for grad school, we prepare for jobs. Like it takes years and years of lining stuff stuff up, but this is something that you just don't prepare for. And it's kind of like, you know, very, very reactive, retroactive work that you're doing. After you're like, oh, I'm yearning to have a baby, (laughs) you know, and now it's like, I have to do all this stuff. But yeah, I think there's a a severe gap in trying to be proactive and in the education piece. So like, that's something that I feel strongly about and that I, I felt like we, you know, I really experienced.
1: You know, everybody we've talked to about infertility—we did the episode with Hera on egg freezing last season, um, and we did the episode with Hina Ahmed from Kind Body just prior to this—they've um, said the same thing: that it should not be a reactive thing; that you should embark on this journey much earlier than anybody tells you to or expects you to, whether or not you've made the decision of wanting to be a parent or not. And that's so important, right? Like, why are we waiting until our female patients are in their 30s to talk to them about options? Why aren't we talking about this In the 20s, given how society is changing and how the rates of when women are having kids are changing, why are we not normalizing these conversations? And especially in your situation where 10 years ago you knew that this was going to be the issue or your partner knew that because of his medical history this was going to be an issue going forward, it's surprising to me that his medical caregivers, his doctors didn't impress the... um, this on you guys, right? Again, whether or not you were ready to have kids, whether or not you were even thinking about kids, um, it's it's really sad, I think, that the the medical caregivers aren't impressing this information?
2: Um, I would say that it's multifold. Like, I don't think it's the medical caregivers alone, right? There's a, a an overhaul that needs to happen, right? It's easy to say, hey, you should preserve your fertility. Hey, you should freeze your eggs. But it's very easy to say it's really hard to do because it's very, egg freezing is a very niche elitist thing and it costs a lot of money. And women in their 20s are just not going to do it because they're not they're not going to put themselves through invasive procedures that cost a lot if they don't find the need for it right like we have to change the conversation and we need to encourage early testing and early just like workup. you just have to know i honestly had zero idea what was happening in my body um i also i knew like my whole life obgyns were like hey you you have pcos you have endometriosis those are very serious full body diseases and hormonal dysfunctions and even then like i just did not i didn't know what what tests to get done or what i need to line up and i will go as far as to say that actually i resisted the idea and a lot of women do i actually resisted even exploring this it was it was a weird naive avoidance and conscious unconscious subconscious resistance because women of color, especially like in your twenties, you're like, I got to make it. I got to, I, I have to, I'm on the career train and I have to prove that I can be on the career train and make it. And you kind of are programmed to think that it's not, it's anti-feminist or anti-career to like, Hey, think about babies because your grandma had like 10 babies or whatever. Right. And like, it's just like, so backward and I'm not thinking about babies and stuff like that. Right. Like, that's kind of like, you might not overtly be saying that, but that's sort of the subliminal um, psyche. And I—that's—I was that person, and I was just like, I'm not even thinking about this, and I'm going to, um, you know, leave it to my fate. I'll rely on the science. And that, looking back, was very naive. I'm so glad that you said that because I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, and
0: especially, I think we've heard from Hina and Hida, who we talked to about this now, that it's—it's it's about insurance more than anything, right? It's about just making sure you have the options available to you rather than it being like, I know I want to be a mom now, so now I have to go through all these things. It's like, do it before you even make that decision. So if you have, obviously, the resources to do so, just so that it's it's something that you don't have to worry about and you're not overwhelmed by when you're at the point where you, where you need to do something about it. And I think looking back, because I, I also felt that same res, strange resistance even now, I think for me, it was just like this fear of like, finding out because of the misinformation or the lack of information growing up around my body. Um, And I grew up with a family full of doctors, but no one ever really talked about it. And it was just something that happened when you're ready, when you're ready to get married. Um, And I cannot tell you how many things from just aunties in the community, they told us would be resolved about our reproductive health once we got married. From like period cramps to anemia, it'll be solved by quote unquote, getting married, Uh, but there was no getting laid. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I remember sitting in, it was a a family friend, her daughter was getting married and she was chewing ice and uh, obviously anemic. um, And she was talking about how her period cramps are really bad, but her mom told her once she gets married, they'll go away. (laughs) And I remember sitting there thinking like, is she just talking about you get having sex and saying that that's going to solve your period
1: cramps or like. I've had doctors tell me that. I've had doctors tell me that. I used to have really long periods, and my doctor, who was a Pakistani woman, so I guess that was... <laughs> yeah.
0: She's just another um, auntie telling you these like crazy myths. Or But and, literally,
1: um, it was that idea that the hormones from having sex would take care of a lot of these hormonal that, right. imbalances.
0: Or even, uh, I remember reading somewhere about how a good wife, your period will go away once you get oh if you're a good wife meaning you get pregnant like the that was the the like underlying sentiment was that if you're a good wife your period will go away that this is some kind of punishment put upon you if you're not a good partner a good wife to your husband um
2: yeah it's bizarre how much myth it is and like
0: I wonder for you, since it was uh, you know, a foregone conclusion for you guys, what was the reaction of, of your family and friends? Did you feel cultural pressure? Was that something that you had to navigate as well, even though it was, some, it was really the only way you were going to be able to have kids?
2: Um, from our families, no, because there was obviously a unique sensitivity from both families, knowing that we have this special issue. Nobody ever asked us when we're going to have kids because I know like sometimes they make, make jokes or like wishful thinking type of comments, but never, ever pressure because both our families are um, sensitive and sensible enough to not do that um, because they knew like we like it wasn't like we struggled and found out that we we have infertility, right? Like we were just, we're infertile, like we cannot procreate without assisted reproductive technology um, and so from our families no but broader culture and society of course like infertility there is is very much in the shadows like there's a stigma there's a taboo right and the the more I'm speaking to women now that I'm building this brown girl infertility community, I am hearing so many stories that you know it's 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 absolutely, wild. It's crazy the amount of pressure and the cultural barriers and the pressures that women feel. And I think women of color particularly face um, particular challenges right like obviously the education piece we talked about like our families don't talk about this yes like our families actually knew but they didn't want to go there because they didn't want to hurt my partner or like they just it was not talked about um that's our family but generally like no one's family talks about that about this right you're not you don't talk about periods at home like you don't you talk to periods with your mom but you don't really talk like it's not a family topic you don't talk about fertility preservation so like it, the education piece is there but then there's also like a lot of like implicit bias and like stereotypes. like I think women of color are rendered inherently fertile in our culture. and that's where the pressure comes from. Like I'm hearing a lot of stories from mother-in-laws and moms and like grandmas. I mean so many women are telling me how like oh, you're married like they're they're getting a lot of pressure like, oh, you're married now you're obviously like why like why aren't you popping out kids because you there is a stereotype that our women are just more fertile because, our aunts and grandmas and our ancestors had multiple babies and that's that's wrong um the other one is that 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 infertility is a female issue right it's not we know that it's half and half a lot of times like half the cases are male factor and so that like is something that i think the brown community does not want to face and understand and a lot of the pressure comes on on women from from that end right so yeah i think women of color face particular challenges and that sort of is why like I think overall broader society culture there's a large amount of stigma around this topic um for us personally you know we got some we got a lot of like you know jokes and stuff maybe from like co-workers friends but nothing direct from our families luckily
1: and by the way that I feel like that stigma or that stereotype around women of color Transcends or goes beyond just the fertility piece, but goes into your overall um, identity as a mother as well, right? It's just assumed that you're going to be this fountain of breast milk and that you're going to be this saintly mother who, you know, devotes martyrs, sacrifices her life for her multiples of children. And when you as a person are not able to fulfill that ideal, there is a lot of shame around it. Um, So I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Can you talk to us about your, the response you received from Brown Girl Infertility?
2: Sure, yeah, I mean, it's been great. It's been overwhelming, it's been amazing. Um, you know, it's still fairly new. the page is new, the blog is is launching now, the website's like going going live. Um, the Facebook page is live. So um, what I'm really trying to do is build a community because I think, and I mentioned this before, I think you know I was looking for that community, and I think at the end of the day we're all tribal um, beings and we learn from each other and we need support systems to lean on. That's what I'm trying to do. And I think I'm, I'm, you know, I think I'm getting there. And I, the response has been really, really, really great. I've had so many women just messaging me and, um, sharing their stories and, you know, asking questions and asking for like more information or like, you know, just thanking me for even talking about this, which I didn't, I didn't realize like I would get that reaction. Um, you know, I was just trying to say, hey, we got to like, let's just make this public. We have to be out there and this needs to come out of the shadows. And this is me and this is what I'm doing. So it's, it's such a large part of who you are when you're going through it. It's such a large part of like my partner and I's relationship. And we all know like on our personal Instagrams, we're kind of like curating and like selecting like Things to share, but I was like, you know, this is what we've been doing for one year, and I'm going to talk about it. Um, but a lot of people thanked me for talking about it, which I didn't expect, and it's been really humbling, and um, it's been really, you know, moving to to get that reaction because they're like, you're the first person that looks like me that is talking about this, and it's it's really nice um, for them, and it's really nice for me to hear. And so, you know, I started the Facebook page, which is an online support group. It's private it's confidential because I feel like people need to talk to each other. And I'm not, you know, I'm not an expert. I'm just sharing my journey. Um, I'm, I'm actually partnering with experts on the page and more about that later. But yes, I don't, I'm only talking about myself. And I think, but I think there's a lot of value when people talk to each other. Um, And so I started the Facebook group and, you know, people can talk about their, their medication, their protocols or side effects or questions about acupuncture and just like learn. Cause there's so many of these mommy groups on Facebook. There's some infertility groups, but again, like there aren't like any focused and specific like to women of color. And I felt like that was, um, a hole that needed to be filled. So yeah, the response has been really great.
1: I think to your earlier point though, there's just this extreme thirst for knowledge, this extreme thirst for education and I agree with you 100% the responsibility doesn't lie solely on medical health professionals but I wish like we didn't have to go to Instagram or to Facebook to learn about these things you know what I mean Irene Sarah did um just like an Instagram story I think or a reel or something about her trying to conceive journey and um she's now pregnant with her second baby and you know for like for weeks following that story she would post messages that she was getting from women being like damn I w- I had no idea about any of this stuff I watched your video and you know x amount of days or weeks or whatever later I tested positive thank you for that information and It's don't get me wrong. It's a beautiful thing that we are able to use technology to to connect with each other this way. But again, I, I, I just wish even for myself that somebody had told me in my twenties, just start thinking about it. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I think you're filling a really, really important space, absolutely, and you're doing it responsibly, but my concern is for people who don't do it responsibly, and when we're only going to these sources for this information, um, it, it gets sticky, but that's that's great that you're able to do this and that you're just the support piece alone I think is so important because resonating um, with the communities of color is something – that nobody really cares to do and is it's critical
2: i mean back to the education piece you know like i was actually recently speaking to a reproductive endocrinologist from new york that actually will be i'm going to be doing an uh, ig live with and we were sort of trying to figure out how that hole is going to be filled like that is just not going to happen because like ob like regular ob annual appointments like it's a pap you're in and out it's like five minutes they might ask you hey Uh, when are you going to have babies? And you're like, I'm not here to talk about that. And you're out. And like, so it's not going to be there, right? And it's not going to be in in high school sex ed, where all you're told is you, you're going to sneeze and you'll get pregnant. Um, And it's not going to be in our family. So I think for now, it's going to be on social media, you know, it's going to be in these little digestible pieces that, you know, anecdotal stuff that people can learn from and more than the education piece I think it's also the support piece like people are really infertility is a very very lonely and it's a it's a journey that like nobody understands unless you're going through it and when you're going through it there is a desire for a lot of us to connect with other people going through it because it's a massive undertaking physically and mentally and so you know, the community piece, the support piece is definitely key. And I think it's, yeah, it's definitely both education and support.
0: Yeah. And I think it's really also, I think communities of color often rely on this kind of community organizing to disseminate information um like i think about the black panthers they're the ones who started the school lunch program that then was adopted nationwide right nobody really talks about the history of that or just even like black doctors going into communities and that that's like the basis of our healthcare system that kind of thing and social media is such a powerful tool when it's done right for marginalized communities underrepresented communities and two i think it also helps empower people because Seeing someone like who looks like me going through this and talking to me directly about it makes me then want to go ask my provider, my healthcare provider questions, Uh, because the healthcare system is already so challenging to navigate and you have to advocate for yourself, especially as a woman, especially as a woman of color, when no one is talking about these things and the emphasis is always about um, just like having babies and that's kind of, or preventing like you said, like preventing getting pregnant instead of like, okay, what happens when you do want to get pregnant? Uh, so I, like back to your point, of course, there's always going to be the dark side of social media where there's always going to be misinformation or disinformation, but I think for communities like ours that are tend to be underrepresented or marginalized, social media can be a, such a powerful tool to get information
2: and at into- the very least, we're we're normalizing the conversation because that's right. what needs to happen for people to go get those checkups, right? Because I didn't go get my checkups. I knew my partner was infertile, and I still didn't go get the checkups because I was scared, I was avoidant, I was resistant. And I if years went by and I was like, yeah maybe I see kids in my future but not yet I would say it openly and I had no like shame in saying that and and that's okay I think that's okay for women to say that it's okay to say like I don't want kids right now and that's not what I want right now because I like my life I don't want it to change that was me and I but I just I could have at least you know, meddled into like just a little bit, like dabbled into like testing. And I didn't. And the reason I didn't, because it was very scary. It was just like something, a chapter I did not want to open. And I think at the very least, the social media stuff is normalizing the conversation. And it might take away some of that fear because when I, I, and I'll be, I'll be very open about this. When I actually went and got my testing done, I was a little late. You know, my numbers were not good. They were not where I thought they would be, you know, my testing, because you go and you get kind of checked out um, and it's called ovarian reserves, which is like the amount of eggs you have left, right? A woman is born with all the eggs she'll need in her whole life. And, you know, over time you just lose them. And we just cannot deny the biology. You do, it's a rapid decline in your 30s. Um, Not so rapid for it's. I mean, everyone's different, not so rapid for some people, but I thought I was good. I was chilling. I was like early thirties. But then when I got my, my testing done, I was measuring what someone in their late thirties would Right? Like my fertility right now is of a 39 year old, but I'm a 33 year old, not trying to be an alarmist at all. I'm just trying to say like information and knowledge is power.
1: No, let me be clear. Like, Absolutely, I, I don't mean at all to say that the social media conversation should not exist. I think it's critical, absolutely, and l- exactly like you said, I think the value you bring from a support perspective and from normalizing the conversation—that's something that no other outlet can do and no other outlet um, is positioned to do. So uh, I couldn't agree. I mean, until we had the conversation with Hina from Kind Body, here I'm confessing my ignorance again, as I have on every single episode we've done on infertility. I literally didn't even know this kind of testing existed, that it was like optional testing that you could do absent some sort of medical reason necessitating it, right? And so I I think absolutely that information needs to be disseminated and made more normal and available to everybody across the board, male and female, because you're right, it's not a uniquely female issue.
2: Male and yeah, you're right. And a lot of times, like um, when people are partnered up and in heterosexual relationships, the woman will go and get all the testing done, and then the you know the guy doesn't, which I think is is bizarre. And then it like they'll go later on, like there's resistance from like you know I don't, I'm not going to get into that right now, but I'm just saying like yeah, male and female testing is super important if you're in a heterosexual relationship. And um, back to just like women's bodies, I think. Um, you know, not, again, not to be an alarmist, but a lot of women are in their 20s and they have what's known as diminished ovarian reserve. And you're just not, that's something you can't stop or reverse, and you're not going to know it until you get tested. Um, and so it's super important to just kind of normalize that, that testing and just talk about it and for people to know what it is.
0: Well, I'm really glad that you talked about how you, you waited even though you knew you needed to go because that's something that I I actually knew about the the testing about ovarian reserves um, a few years ago because my my one of my employers actually had an OB come in and talk to us. We had partnered with them on some program and and had, she was like, you know, I have a bunch of women in my office, come talk to them about what you do. And I still didn't get it done. And then even after that conversation with Hitta last season, when I was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to my employer. I'm going to find out about what are my benefits are. I still didn't do it because I was scared. Um, so it actually does make me feel a little bit better that you were scared too. Oh so scared.
2: So so scared. And it's normal to feel that way. That's the other thing. We have to validate that feeling too. It is so normal to feel scared. Like, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Kind of like this is your entire genetic future. Like you, it's so scary. And more than that, it's like you don't want to learn bad stuff about your body. And then also it's like, I don't even want to open that chapter right now. That was me. You know, it's totally normal. And then obviously financial reasons, there's many, many things that and prevent someone from exploring this but there is no harm in exploring there's only benefit in exploring that's what I'm trying to to say and I,
0: I want to in the spirit of like normalizing the conversation I do want to ask about just you've talked a little bit about this on your on brown girl infertility but like the mental and physical toll this takes on you and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that just like the the mental and physical toll the actual cycles and all of that takes
2: um, the IVF cycles, to be clear? Yes, yeah. yes. So, I mean, IVF is a massive undertaking. And There's a very large mental and physical toll. Um, a lot of people sort of discount the, the mental, emotional toll, but, you know, it exists. Physically, you know, when you think about what you're doing, it is definitely a massive undertaking. You're taking... Um, shots every day. You're taking injections every single day for the first part of, of IVF, which is the stimulation phase, right? Um, typically, a woman releases one egg per month if you're ovulating, um, quote unquote, normally. A lot of people don't. Um, but what in in an IVF stimulation, you're trying to trick your ovaries into um, like maturing and growing more eggs than a woman normally does in a month which is one. Um and so you're pumping yourself with hormones, a lot of a lot of hormones and hormones that do different things. Like I think in the beginning actually and I'm also like again I'm not a medical expert so I'm a, a little fuzzy on some of this, right? Like a lot of it is you've got to trust your doctor but I think in the beginning you sort of induce menopause a little bit um and to prevent you from ovulating. That's one of the medicine. The other one actually stimulates growth and grows multiple follicles. Um, And so your ovaries are going from the size of a walnut to a large orange or a tennis ball. And so physically, that's what's happening. And that comes with a lot of side effects because there's a lot of pain and discomfort because your ovaries are are stretching. Um, Physically, also, there's a lot of side effects from the hormones because hormones, as we know, Regulate everything our sleep, our appetite, our mood. Um, So, you know, brain fog is common. A lot of people have like gastric stuff. A lot of people have um, just feeling crappy, nausea. I think some people have throw up. For me, it was just like feeling crappy, a lot of discomfort, and like um, a lot of brain fog. Like, I was very dysfunctional at at work. Um, And so, and then physically you're also going every morning for monitoring like you're going and getting a vaginal ultrasound and a blood test to see where your hormones are at and that's a lot you know it's a massive undertaking to go every single morning and get probed like that and to to get your your blood drawn like i my baseline was afraid of needles and the shots are tiny needles and like you kind of get used to them. I was doing three a night and it was like, but the blood draws every day. It was really a lot. And it's are, and you were
0: administering the, the needles to yourself, right? Because I know you posted a picture of you actually injecting yourself too. Yes. So it's...
2: Yes. So actually my partner is... Um, in the medical field. And so my first cycle, I trusted him, I was like, you're gonna, and it was also a nice way for him to be involved, because he wanted to be involved. So he would mix it. And he he gave me my, my shots in the beginning. And then I just kind of like transitioned to sort of doing them myself. And like, he, he's always there for each shot, like he'll mix some of them, he's always next to me. But I just kind of was able to control the actual needle better myself and not make it painful in a way. Um but yeah, so you're you're they kind of just give you all this stuff and you're on your own to sort of just you poke yourself and you have to measure and mix the vials and it's kind of just so crazy how you're just doing all of this on your own, I think. Um and so that's the physical piece. Um and the side effects are a lot. Um and they vary for different people, but um, and then after that you have a surgery for egg retrieval, which is a whole surgery. Like you're it's under anesthesia and you're they're going in there and they're draining every follicle. And so there's a recovery after it. You're sore and you're kind of bleeding and it's hard to move for a couple of days, sometimes longer. My second retrieval was was really rough. It took me like a month to bounce back and start and start to feel kind of like myself again. The mental piece, you know, it's often overlooked and there's a big big emotional mental piece you know how can you infertility itself is very emotional right it comes with a lot of grief a lot of loss and just a lot of heartache a lot of people end up here after trying naturally or having miscarriages or trying IUIs and doing other things and it's it's a very long road um for us like you know I had a lot of anxiety going in. That was something I really struggled with. I had a lot of just fear and anxiety, every single step. Um, and I, we felt the grief and the loss. Like we, I felt the loss of an experience that I'll never get to have. You know, I will just never get pregnant on a vacation or, you know, it won't. It won't I'll never get to surprise my partner with like a pregnancy test and there's a lot of loss and grief and then you know you kind of do a cycle and you're for the best and you know you don't end up with the outcome that you wanted and that's that is it's really it's rough so infertility itself is like you know um A lot but then you you do when you when you're doing the cycle you have to remember you're you're giving yourself hormones which also really mess up your mood right um so there's a lot of mood symptoms that come from the hormones and it's so bizarre to me like when I was doing the stimulation which is taking the shots leading up to retrieval I kind of was like having a bit of the mood stuff not crazy but after my retrieval I felt like shit I felt like shit. And I was like, what's happening? So I actually went to the internet and looked this up. And what happened was just this massive estrogen crash. So normal, like when your normal period cycle every month, your estrogen goes from like somewhere in the 200s to zero, and then you get a period. That's what signals your period to start, right? It's like going from like 200 to like very low. And that dip in estrogen tells you to, like, to bleed. But in an IVF, the estrogen you're pumping in actually climbs up and up and up. Mine was over 2,000 um, when I did, you know, when they did my surgery. That's kind of where, you know, they want, they kind of want you to be. Um, and after your retrieval, it crashes. So, like, think of PMS times, like... Whatever is that times that's times a hundred, right? Or sorry, that's times times. You're,
0: 10. Asking, you're asking the wrong person. I don't fucking
2: know. <laughs> sorry, I'm not I'm a, so bad at math. Yeah, I'm clearly, 10. <laughs> clearly not a math buff, but that was yeah, PMS times ten, just in num- numbers, in the numbers. Um so yeah, that crashed for me. So then I actually looked this up and I looked this up and um someone had written an article or like a blog post about how they've tried every hard drug out there and they also did ivfs and they said the crash is very similar to a heroin or um uh, an oh ecstasy crash. my god yeah, so that's kind of like you know a picture of what I felt. Maybe some people don't feel it, but yeah, after retrieval was rough. It was rough. I was a mess, but I had to sort of you know do the acupuncture, do my mindfulness, my meditation, my um, you know talking to myself, mothering myself, telling myself this is the hormones. But yeah, it was rough. I'm not gonna lie. Um, so yes, both physically and emotionally, it's a lot.
1: Say the the picture that Fiza mentioned. Um, of you injecting yourself and just showing all the needles around you, like that's an image that was so jarring to me to see because like you said, that part of it isn't spoken about, right? Just what the physical toll of it is. Um, And then how the emotional piece of it that you mentioned that goes side by side, how do you and your partner – what keeps you guys going through this like you're you're about to start round 3 that's a lot that's a lot what keeps you going aside from obviously the desire to have a child um you know not not at all to try to put toxic positivity onto this but what is it that pulls you out of these really really tough times
2: um, you know, yes, the, I will say regarding the desire to have a child, like there's this saying that says hell hath no fury, like a woman that wants a baby. That's definitely true. But more than that, I do want to say, um, that, you know, we kind of have to also normalize that it's okay. You have to normalize not going right. Like it's okay to not be go, go, go. Um, and, right now we're in, we're taking a break, right? It's a couple of months. We're going to take off actually more than a couple, but we, you know, it's sometimes it's okay to not keep going. And that's kind of where we are. And that's where we were after my second cycle. You know, it was rough for me the second time around. My outcome was like way worse than the first time. I was just in a really bad headspace when I did my second cycle. I did not give myself the time to sort of um, relax and, you know, the stress was high. I had a trial at work, and it was just a bad headspace. And the outcome was not good. And it was hard. And we both decided that we need to take a break. And, you know, I, I really needed to um, regroup and recharge, and focus on my mental health, and my physical health, you know, your body changes, you don't, you know, I used to work out every day, and like, be crazy, like doing CrossFit, and stuff, and you're not supposed to do high intensity stuff, and you actually are kind of inactive for six weeks, when you're doing this, or I was actually for, after my second cycle, because I had some complications, but you know, I was like, I need to just kind of focus and like do my stuff and like get my body where I want it to be, get my mind where I want it to be. And I want to say that it's okay to take breaks and not keep going. And like, that's where we are. Um, And then generally, you know, I I think I have, I I have, I know how much I have in me. (laughs) That's what keeps me going. I might reach a point where I'm, I'm done. You know, a lot of people are, I'm, I don't think I'm there yet. I'm going to do everything I can. But a lot of people are like 10 cycles deep and they're still going. And I think it's different for, for, for everybody. And I don't know what it's going to be like for me like six months later or one, one year later. But right now, like I'm trying to give it my all because I feel like, you know, I want to when I can. But I also want to say it's we have to kind of normalize like this, like taking breaks and relaxing and like not being sucked into like, capitalist productivity mindset especially when it comes to like our bodies um so yeah no that makes perfect sense and I think you're right I think it's
1: it would be unnatural to expect people to not reach breaking points with with a process that takes so much out of you not just physically not just mentally mentally financially, you know, I can't imagine what the financial burden is to do one cycle, let alone 10. And I think um, it's absolutely okay to reach a point and say, I just can't do it. Not right now, maybe not ever. Um, And that's another place where this space that you're creating, this conversation that you're contributing to, that's, that's what's going to change that and make it okay for women to feel like, okay, I got to stop. It's not working for me.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's very few people that do that because I mean, it's, it's, you know, this is something that people will go and go and go because they, they want, they just want it so badly. Right. And I get that. I get it. And like more power to them. But I think, I'm also recently like connecting with some women that are like I'm reaching the end of my fertility journey because I just can't do it anymore because I'm in debt and every cycle is like $20 to $30,000 and I don't have insurance coverage and I'm also my body's done, you know. So then they they're they're exploring other options. You know, there's there's tons of other options. People do donor eggs, donor sperm, they do um surrogacy they do adoption like those are options like those options are not obviously available for every culture and every religion but you know people start exploring other things but yeah knowing when to stop is super important
0: um, and I I know you're still building your platform and and this is kind of nascent for you as well but I wonder given the responses and the and the um, amount people who have just like really celebrated this and supported you what has been what's been the most surprising thing that you've learned from from this whole experience
2: um the surprising thing is that my suspicion that so many other brown women existed is is definitely not a suspicion it's actually real and i was really surprised to connect with a lot of other muslim south asian women like black women brown women um you know latinx women just like people that look like me and are just so willing to talk and just incredible amount of support that was so surprising and just so um you know heartwarming people are cheering each other on like like no other you know there's people someone actually reached out to me and was like hey um are you looking for a surrogate or do you want my eggs like I was that was to me like so moving and so just shocking in like a really amazing way, right? So stuff like that has been very surprising and just really, really, really heartwarming.
0: That's so lovely. That's actually, like, in context, that's yeah. actually so beautiful. I it it think really Like, just some rando reaching out and being like, no, do no, you want to that's, like, that's what I meant. Yeah.
2: What I meant about us being tribal creatures, like, I feel like women supporting other women is, like, there's so much power in that. And just the, the community and support that I'm seeing is, like, nothing else.
1: Say that at this point in your journey, what do you know now that we, you wish you had known in the very beginning, what would have made it easier for you as you walk this path?
2: Oh, my goodness. If anything. So much. So much. So, much. so we touched a lot on, like, the education piece, right? I think if I knew what – I didn't even know what ovarian reserves meant. The first time I talked to a reproductive endocrinologist, they were like, what do your ovarian reserves look like? And I was like, excuse me, what is that? You know? <laughs> because I didn't know what the You tell me. Meant. You're the doctor. <laughs> Exactly. I didn't know the lingo. And why would you, right? Um, I didn't know what the hormones were. You have so many different types of hormones, like estrogen, progesterone are definitely like the main ones. Like a lot of people have heard of those. But then there's like LH, AMH, like other stuff that you just don't know what each hormone does and like the balance of it. Um, I just I mean I wish I knew all of that but like why would I? Like I'm not hard on myself <laughs> for not knowing stuff. Um I wish I was just le- like na- less naive and I wish that s- this conversation was more normalized and there was more out there for me to just kind of casually learn. Um that was not the case and it is still not the case and I'm definitely trying to change that. Um I think also um what I wish was different um I don't know if I want to change this, but I had a, I had a, an excitement and optimism before my first cycle. I was like, oh, I'd probably be one and done, which I wasn't. And I think I should have mentally prepared myself for any outcome. Um, and you know, it's human nature to do that and to like be optimistic. And I don't even know if I would go back and and be different, but I think mentally preparing yourself for any outcome is key because I was bummed and it was rough to sort of not get the results that we wanted. Um, There's a lot of focus on like numbers and how many eggs, how many embryos. And we had sort of like made a goal with our doctor and we didn't even come anywhere near the goal. And that was really hard. And you're programmed to, like, again, be the, in this productivity mindset. And, like, you just obviously you're positive and optimistic and you're you're kind of hoping for the best. But, yeah, I think I had, did not give myself permission to sort of, like, you know, um, be ready for any outcome, like even bad outcomes. And so I definitely did that over time. Um, that, I think, is something that I would try to go back and work on and people should maybe maybe like you know sort of on the at the outset be ready for powerful um miss Visa, what are your lessons learned
0: uh i think the big one is that um that it's okay to be scared about this i think i was really hard on myself about uh not taking that first step and being and be, just being really mad at myself for not not just getting over my anxiety around it um you know I, i've been talking about it but i wasn't holding myself accountable and why am i not just you know banging on the door of every fertility clinic to figure this out and it, and and it's nice to hear it it's comforting i shouldn't say nice it's comforting to know that i that there was a there's a reason behind it and i'm not alone in in being scared about it and it's not really my fault it's because of all of the mixed messages misinformation lack of information that i've received over the years why would i feel empowered to take control of this um when i wasn't i'm not really afforded the agency to do so so i think that is something that i feel uh, i i can i can let go of that um energy and just kind of take it one day at a time and like say that you've mentioned just kind of get myself out of that productivity mindset this is something very intimate and sensitive and personal and of course there's going to be a lot of anxiety around it and it's okay to 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 take your time to figure it out but just knowing that you have the that I have the option to do it and that there are other people who are going through this as well um is very very makes me hopeful.
2: Yeah, I mean it's totally okay to be not sure about kids. I think that's okay. I'm going to have to say that. You know, I think it's okay to be scared, but you know, it's not old fashioned to explore fertility to get your testing done and to plan for your fertility. Like if I were to give anyone like one like little tidbit, it's like you have to plan for your fertility. I had no idea and you have to, like you just have to. Knowing what I know now like You have to line stuff up, and I think it's so badass and it's so amazing and so feminist to conquer and to own your fertility. And that's not something. That's not the messaging around it. Because when you think about fertility, you think about like babies and like our grandparents that were having ten babies, and it's like you run away from it, you know, in your twenties as a woman of color. It was like working, like you kind of run away. But it's actually like it is so autonomous and so powerful to learn about it and to just own it and to plan for it, you know?
0: What about you, Mehic? What was your lesson learned?
1: I love that. say that we should be empowered by it, uh, rather than be kind of driven by it. I love that. Um, my lesson learned is not at all as optimistic as yours, Fiza. Um, I, I've always known that, um, IVF specifically is very difficult, but I never knew the intimate details about it. And hearing your story, um, I feel very sad that I couldn't be more of an ally to friends and family members who have gone through it before. Um, And I think it definitely just goes back to normalizing the conversation so that people feel comfortable sharing the intimate details, um, and allow support, uh, allow others to be supportive. Um, yeah, just, just hearing you talk about the daily shots, you know, multiple shots, the daily check-ins, the ultrasounds, it's, it's a lot. And, um, I feel, I feel disappointed in myself. Um, and, I wish Brown Girl Infertility had been around a couple years
2: ago. Well don't be to too hard on don't illness. be too hard on yourself. Honestly, like how that's my like, lesson learned. <laughs> you just like you don't know what you don't know, right? Like you you're being a little harsh, I think. <laughs> but yeah. you know, I think do you not hear what I just said? Don't be
0: hard on yourself.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Let's for rolling.
1: Well, I wasn't listening because I was too busy being hard on myself. All of us, right? Like even
2: other women that are listening to this that are going through infertility struggles, like it's so it's so easy to be harsh on yourself. Like I remember, like after my second cycle, I was like, "Oh my gosh, it must have been like all that water I didn't drink, you know, or maybe I had too much coffee." Like, you're it's so easy to internalize and say. I, this is my body. It's not working. My body's not working. My body's failing me or it's me. I did did something or I didn't do something. That's where people are struggling with infertility, but like for support supporters and allies too, like, I feel like, you know, we have to just overall be kind to ourselves and, you know, um, to each other as a community. Like, I think the lack of, the lack of the silence around this is so loud, right? The, that it's we're really doing a disservice to to each other to our future generations and it's okay we forgive you for for you know not (laughs) I'm not sure what you said but yes for whatever you you did wrong
1: (laughs) no I'm literally gonna text my friends as soon as we finish recording so
2: mean a lot of times it's like people that are actually going through it they don't like they don't there's a lot of shame right because they see their friends having babies and there's like literally my whole feeds on some days is like all babies and pregnancy announcements and I'm like I have to take a break because like how so a lot of that is like people are suffering in silence because of the that you know the pressure and like what they just feel like they don't fit in and it's something that no one would understand right so you know, your friends might have felt that way. And that's kind of going back to pe- women suffering in silence and not sharing for a lot, a lot of reasons, like mainly the shame and the stigma and just like not feeling supported. Um, so yeah, it's, it's both, it's two ways.
0: Hey say this. So um, can you let people know where they can find you?
2: Sure. So um, my Instagram page is Brown Girl Fertility. My website is browngirlinfertility.com and I've created a Facebook support group, which is a private confidential support group, um, for everyone to connect with each other and really build a community. So, um, the link to that is, um, on my website and on the Instagram page, but it's, you can also search it. It's the Brown Girl Infertility Facebook support group. Um, and those are all my contact inf- So.
0: Are there any uh, upcoming events that you want to make sure people know about or schedules for your lives?
2: So I do lives on Sundays usually, um, and, um, you know, I try to have – there's two sets of lives that I do. I have infertility experts that come on, doctors and nutritionists, functional medicine um, people. So I have expert series, which I do um, – it's not regularly every week, but every week or every other week, a, cup, a couple a month. And then I also am doing lives with uh, people in the infertility communities, you know, like heroes and, and warriors. And so if you want to share your story and want to collaborate, please send me a DM, send me a message, and I'm happy to do that. I want to say that uh, the National Infertility Awareness Week is coming up, which is in April. So I'm going to have a bunch of stuff lined up for that. Um, so keep a lookout.
0: That's amazing. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Saida. And um, we look forward to hearing more about your
2: journey and supporting Brown Girl Of fertility. course, thank you for having me. And thanks for everything that you guys do. Uh,
1: for everybody tuning in, thanks for joining. New episodes drop every other Wednesday. You can check us out on Instagram at The Femme for the latest episodes, behind the scenes, and more. And listen, like, and subscribe to us on
0: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Thanks for listening.